Welcome to Translating Aging, a podcast about how the science of human longevity is transforming the way we treat disease. In each episode, we bring you conversations with the researchers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders who are working at the vanguard of the field. Translating Aging is produced by BioAge Labs, a clinical stage biotechnology company developing therapies to extend healthy lifespan by targeting the molecular causes of aging. I'm Chris Patil, VP of Media at BioAge. Joining us today is Dr. Courtney Hudson-Paz, founder and program director of the TIME Initiative, a new organization that is nurturing passionate and talented students' early commitment to aging research and their excitement for innovation in order to accelerate their growth into the field's next generation of leaders. She did her thesis work in Professor Jennifer Garrison's group at the Buck Institute for Research and Aging, and Jen was on the show way back in 2021. Welcome, Courtney, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk today. The TIME Initiative is focused on building interest in aging research among undergraduate students and thereby supporting the next generation of leaders in the field. So maybe just start with the name. Why did you pick the name TIME? It's actually a two-pronged reason. So number one, it's, you know, undergrads are at this like really pivotal point in their life. They're trying to decide what to do with their time. When I'm going out and doing these student events, I'm reminding them that right now they're like, they're a time billionaire. And so they have this unlimited potential to decide like which direction to go. And also, I think what they should be doing is helping build a world where we all have more healthy time. And so that's the other piece of it. Nice. So it keeps both their opportunity and the mission kind of front of mind. Can you tell us a little bit more about your mission and motivation for starting the organization? Our motivation is really the same motivation of the field, right? We all see that the world is aging rapidly. We already have a billion people suffering from age-related diseases. And this demographic shift that we're expecting is only amplifying the urgency of this problem. We're really at a transformative period of aging, which is exciting. We have this promise of geroscience, which is offering us like an unprecedented opportunity to slow the progression of age-related diseases. So we finally have the tools, but to leverage these tools, I really think we need a strong and dedicated talent pool. So our mission is to inspire and cultivate the next generation of leaders in aging biology. We thought that one of the biggest bottlenecks is um, a shortage of early stage talent. So the TIME initiative was really born out of the desire to address that bottleneck and um, engage undergrads in aging research and provide them with the knowledge and the resources and mentorship to really make a meaningful contribution to the field. I want to talk more about why you are focusing specifically on undergraduates. Why is this a particularly important stage? This was a really strategic choice. This was driven by our understanding of the importance of early engagement in scientific research. And like I said, they're at a pivotal point. They're exploring interests. They're exploring different career decisions. They're full of curiosity and potential, but they're often lacking almost guidance or awareness, really, of opportunities that are available within the field. And also like by focusing on undergrads, we're really investing in the future of the field. It sounds a little bit cheesy, but we're nurturing the next generation of leaders, of innovators and researchers. These are the people who are going to be pushing the boundaries of our understanding of aging. I think it's particularly crucial in a field like aging biology, where we're, we are in this really transformative period and we need fresh talent to drive scientific progress and discovery. So implicit in this is the idea that not enough people are entering the field now. So is there a talent bottleneck in longevity research and longevity biotech? I do believe there is a talent bottleneck. 
the field is really young. It's rapidly evolving. And so there's so many opportunities for progress, but we just don't have enough people looking into the open questions. I think a lot of this just stems from a lack of awareness among students about the potential of a career in aging. They might have heard of it maybe in a cool podcast or something, but they don't make the connection that that's actually something that they can do with their time. They might not even know about aging research happening at their institution. So I also think there's a gap in mentorship and guidance. And this is just because it is such a nascent field. And so where the time initiative comes in here, we're trying to attract, nurture and support these undergrads. And by doing that, I think we can expand the talent pool. We can accelerate the growth of the field. And hopefully that'll give us all some more healthy time. You've convinced us, I think, that there's a talent bottleneck, or at least the influx of people into the field is in some ways rate limiting. Let me turn the question on its head. One of the reasons you cited for why there are fewer people than we need entering the field is that the field is quite young. So is the field of longevity research and longevity biotech in particular big and rich enough to support a larger influx of willing participants? I mean, if people line up around the block, will we be able to let them in? That goes a little bit further and we need more funding at every level, right? But the opportunities and possibility of the impact we can have in people's lives by giving more healthy time, I think is worth that extra funding and really deserves extra attention. Well, from your mouth to God's ears, I couldn't agree more. (laughs) Before we jump into the details of the time initiative, I wanted to talk a little bit about the context in which the organization exists. So you are affiliated with and are an initiative of the American Federation for Aging Research, AFAR. Is that correct? We're really proud to be an AFAR initiative. So what's really cool, they've been in the field for four decades. And so we really benefit from their expertise and their broad network. And they've done really incredible things. So they've really helped build the research pipeline in aging. They've found and funded the brightest talents really early. So you think about different leaders in the field like Nier, like Steve Ostad, Matt Caberline, Judy Campisi, Tom Rando. They all receive their earliest grants from afar. And I'm really hoping to add some names to this list through the time initiative. But yeah, we have shared goals and commitments. And this is only possible through really generous donations. So James Fickle, who's on the AFAR board of directors, he also supports AFAR's Super Ager Initiative and the Amaranth Prize. And this support really allows us to provide students with unique opportunities for resources and mentorship. I want our listeners to find out about exactly what you're doing. So one of the things you mentioned earlier, and something that um, actually complexifies your schedule enough that it made it hard for us to find a time for this interview for a couple of weeks, is that you host events both virtual and in person, to build community and interest in aging biology. So what what kind of events have you organized so far? I just got back from my first round of student events. The first one was at Harvard, and the second one was at University of Washington. Next week, I'll be at Northwestern and UC San Diego, and then the following UC Santa Barbara. And the events have gone really well so far. So my favorite character trait in people is curiosity, and these students are just beaming with it. I don't know if it's the next generation or just that age that they're at, but they're really receptive and engaging. And so to do these events, I've been pairing up with a club on campus. And so I'm attracting a lot of students who are really thinking deeply about aging for maybe one of the first times. I'm also hosting virtual events coming up. And so anyone listening who wants to come, 
You can sign up for our newsletter. You can join our Slack channel and tell me who you want to hear from. And if you want me to come to your university, there's also a request form for that on the website. And a part of our in-person events I forgot to mention was I'm also bringing in a speaker who is doing aiding research at their university. So I feel like that helps make a stronger connection between, oh, this is actually possible as a career path. So did you say that there are aging clubs at universities? There aren't aging clubs yet, but I think that would be an awesome direction to go and I hope more develop. But I'm pairing up with maybe like adjacent fields. So Harvard, I paired up with iGEM, their synthetic biology club or different biology clubs that I've been connecting with at different universities. Nice. I think the overlap between synthetic biology and longevity science is considerable. And in fact, this is a little bit of a plug for those of our listeners who might be in the Bay Area or could be you know, induced to come, um, SynBioBeta, the big synthetic biology conference, is happening uh, May 23rd to 25th. And there is a longevity track this year, which BioAge is sponsoring an event at. And if you uh, happen to be, any of our listeners happen to be in the synthetic biology field, and are attending the conference anyway, please do stop by because I think there's a lot of fertile ground in the overlap between the two fields. I think that's great that iGEM is supporting what you're doing, Courtney. You mentioned the enthusiasm and curiosity of the students. It sounds like the response has been really positive so far. The response has been positive, and I'm I'm hoping we just get to meet more students and connect with those that are really interested in aging and help feed those students into our fellowship program. Okay, well, that was a Excellent transition. <laughs> the Time Fellowship seems like your flagship program, and I want to walk us through the details. So maybe you could start by outlining what it entails. The core of our program is really the Time Fellowship. So it's a really unique program. It's aimed at nurturing the brightest and most ambitious individuals that are committed to creating a world with less age-related diseases. So I think the biggest perk really is just meeting and connecting with an ambitious group of peers that you can learn and grow with. And so to meet those peers, the first thing of the fellowship is they'll go to an annual retreat. So this year I'll be in Northern California and we have some incredible speakers lined up. And then to stay connected through the rest of the fellowship session, uh, we'll have a fellows only community group. We'll also provide direct mentorship. So I really want to connect the students with mentors that are specific to their goals. And then um, finally, we have a grant opportunity as well. So each fellow has the opportunity to apply for an $8,000 grant to conduct a summer project. And these can be really creative. So I want to leave a lot of room for creative thinking. So this could be an industry internship. They could work in a research lab. They could do science communication. They could do policy. The list goes on and on. Oh, that's a great idea. Like the idea that you could bring your own money to an internship so that you're not actually working for free with all of the kind of socioeconomic privilege issues that entails. But the entity that hires you can really just take you because you're enthusiastic, not because they had extra budget for an intern. Right. It makes people a lot more likely to take you on as an <laughs> intern. Yeah. Sort of like having a good fellowship when you're a grad student. It makes, makes every lab want you to rotate in their lab. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit more about the mentorship. You said you wanted to set people up with specific kinds of mentors that would really be the most beneficial of them. I'm inviting you to riff about that. Just kind of paint us a picture about how that works. It is a new program, so I want to really tailor it 
to what is going to most benefit the students. And so this might evolve throughout the course of this first year for sure. But I think mentorship is really important at every level. So you can have near peer mentors, you can have super connectors and super mentors that will help you with opportunities later down the line. And again, nobody knows which path they're going to choose. And if I chose the path that I was going to go with at 18, I'd probably be more unhappy. Like you can't imagine what <laughs> is in store for you really. I, but I think it's great to have an extensive network and have people, again, you can learn and grow with. Marvelous. And it struck me while you were answering that question that in terms of near peer mentors, as soon as you have a year under your belt at the time fellowship, the people who've been through the first cohort will be the obvious choices for near peer mentors. Mm -hmm. If I can get some more funding for the following retreat, I would love to invite the first year cohort back at least for a day or two. And then that can really perpetuate itself. At least for a day or two. How long is this retreat? This year, it's three days. So just a, a long weekend. That sounds awesome. I, I have a feeling this is going to be just a life-changing experience for a lot of the people who attend. So we've had people on the show who have been involved in various kinds of community building and if for lack of a better word, pipeline building in longevity and longevity biotech. And I'm thinking of on deck longevity biotech. We had Nathan Cheng on the show, longevity biotech fellowship, which we haven't interviewed Mark and Nathan in that capacity. We had Mark Hamalainen back when he was founding Less Death, which became Longevity Biotech Fellowship. So both of those organizations have missions that are not overlapping with yours, but definitely very consistent. So can you just kind of compare and contrast time initiative with what's come before? Is this a distinct operation or is it just a case of more is more? We should do more of this. And this is one example of something we should do more of. Well, I definitely think we should be doing more. And I think all of it helps. And everybody in the community has been so helpful of setting up, helping me set up the program and helping me connect to other people. So I think what makes it unique is the focus on really early stage talent and going after people that aren't already interested in aging as well. And so having more of a broad impact. And I think these different programs can feed each other. Great answer. So something that you said got me to thinking, and I'm going to have a little tradition on the show, which is asking at least one devil's advocate question. And you said, this is about getting people involved in aging who don't know about it and don't know that they want to participate. How do you get that person in the door? Like, I understand that you're having events, but like, let's stipulate there's a person out there who'd be great, but like, they have no interest in aging. How do you get them to attend your event? How do you get them to sign up for the fellowship? How does that actually happen? Right. Well, I think a, a seed of interest has to be there. And I've been thinking really deeply about what story I want to present to the students when I'm at this event. At the bare minimum, they have to get themselves to this event. We're advertising it, but it has to spark some interest in some way. But the story that I'm trying to communicate to students is really, I've felt like the best one is how pressing of a need it is. I feel like the demographic information is so compelling and it really presents how pressing this issue is. I see. So create opportunities to educate people, advertise, give them opportunities to hear your message. And to the extent that those efforts are successful, people will come to the kind of, you know, the 
first opportunity type of meetings, and then they'll be activated and they'll want to learn more and they'll continue down the path. Am I getting that right? Yeah, I think the ideas are of the geroscience hypothesis is so compelling that I feel like just the exposure is enough. Mm-hmm. It does have that quality where if you if you give people the geroscience hypothesis and they're completely naive to it before, there's a lot of that. You could almost see the light bulb sometimes. You're like, wow, you know, nobody ever explained it to me that way before. But when you when you point out that aging is the primary risk factor for all these diseases, and chances are that it's a smaller number of mechanisms than the number of diseases that are caused, seems like a really good bet. And obviously, it takes a certain kind of prepared mind to get it, but it's not a big lift. If you can get people into the door to hear what you have to say, I think um, it's pretty easy to convince them that this is important and that you know there are a lot of opportunities for them to work in this direction. So, okay, great. So you've told us a lot about the fellowship. Who can apply? Yeah, so it's open to undergraduate level students from all disciplines. And the only criteria is that you can't be enrolled in graduate level studies yet. I see. I just want to emphasize here too that we need to fill out the entire ecosystem so you don't have to be a biologist. We also need entrepreneurs and VCs and science communicators and policymakers. And the list really, yeah, it just goes on and on. And our applications are due June 30th for this first round. Well, isn't this a well-timed podcast? (laughs) My goodness. Everyone's going to have, let's see, when is this going to come out next week? So yeah, you'll have almost six weeks to fill out the application. And uh, yeah, I encourage all our listeners who are eligible to apply. Suppose somebody's just graduated, Courtney, are they still okay to apply? Yes, they are. Fantastic. As long as they're not yet matriculated into a, a, a graduate program. That's correct. Tell me a little bit more about what you're looking for in your applicants. You said it could be anybody from communicators to computer scientists to laboratory researchers to business students. But what are the criteria other than being inclusive? We're really looking for thoughtful people. I want to see that you're highly motivated, you're mission driven, and that you're demonstrating potential to become a leader in the field. Even if you aren't enrolled in the fellowship, I also want to say that you can still join the community. You can use our resources. You can attend our virtual and in-person events. So it is open still. So how many fellows are you going to select? We have room for 25 fellows this first round. 25 sounds like a pretty good class, but what happens in the future? Will there be opportunities for the fellows to continue their involvement with the initiative after the initial program year? I want to create an ongoing relationship with our fellows where those past fellows can become those near peer mentors. And also I want them to continue to have this network and community group that they can continue to engage with throughout their career. Awesome. And once again, the application deadline for that fellowship is the 30th of June? June 30th, yes. Okay, fantastic. We'll put all of these links for our listeners to the Time Initiative website, to the application for the fellowship, and the show notes that accompany this podcast. Let's jump ahead. Where do you see the Time Initiative in five or 10 years? So this is a little bit bold, but my my vision for the Time Initiative, I want to firmly establish it as a key driving force in the field of aging. I want to grow our networks of fellows, our mentors, and our partners. I envision a future where our fellows are empowered by this experience through our program and they become influential figures in the field. I want them conducting the cutting-edge research and pioneering innovative treatments and influencing policies related to aging and health. I think that we can foster this next generation of leaders and we can accelerate the progress in the field. 
As we close the interview, what kinds of advice would you give to students who are interested in aging research or geroscience? Like just external to the fellowship. Like I understand that not everyone is going to get a chance to do this. So presumably you're trying to reach a broader set of people than just your fellows, obviously, through your events at universities and so forth. So what resources and opportunities would you recommend that they pursue? I've curated and collected um, resources from all over, and those are all on the timeinitiative.org. And those resources will help you find labs to work on aging. They'll find cool podcasts to listen to, like translating aging, <laughs> lectures to watch, and opportunities for funding. Some advice I give students, I want them to always stay curious. So be bold, ask the questions, look at the answers, look for answers. I think it's also really important to know your why. And so your why is going to serve as a really great compass. It'll guide you through inevitable challenges. And like if you're going to grad school, for instance, I want you to know what you want to get out of it. Don't just do it because it's the next box to check off. I think you should educate yourself, build your network and believe in your potential. So I'm constantly fighting against underestimating my capacity for impact. But in learning to let go of that, all of these really incredible opportunities have come my way. And it's really made room for me to just continually grow and learn. That's such a lovely sentiment. Do you have any closing thoughts about the future of aging research or your vision for enabling the next generation of leaders that push this work forward? I'm just basically inviting you to say anything you want. So enabling future leaders in aging, it's more than just about providing them with the knowledge and the skills. I think it's really important to instill them with a sense of purpose and a desire to make a difference. So at the Time Initiative, we're committed to nurturing this sense of purpose in our fellows. We can help them become the leaders that the field of aging research needs. And I'm really excited about the future and the role that the Time Initiative and our fellows will play in shaping it. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, Courtney, for joining us today and for your work with the Time Initiative. Speaking for myself and for BioAge, we wish you the absolute best of luck in building this important program. And please do let us know if there's anything we can do to help. Thank you so much, Chris. It's been really fun to talk to you today. Many thanks as well to our listeners and subscribers. If you have feedback or suggestions for future episodes of Translating Aging, you can contact us by email at podcast at biohlabs.com, on Twitter at BioAgePodcast, or via our LinkedIn page. You can also follow our sponsor, BioAge Labs, on Twitter and LinkedIn. We'll see you next time.